everyone and welcome to the Technology Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by JP Kavana, Anu Ramraj and Jamie French, all representing Unisys. Today they talk to us about cybersecurity and the risk of breaches, the impact of COVID-19 on cloud services, as well as important strategic decisions. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn at Technology Magazine. I guess, JP, for you first, um, you know, as a way of introducing yourself, can you tell me a little bit about your career and your journey towards finding yourself today with, with Unisys? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I started in what you might call cybersecurity back in 2003 when I was with the uh, Metropolitan Police in London. Um, got into digital forensics there, the um, digital forensics high-tech unit, and did that for about six years before moving out to the private sector where I, I built and um, ran a forensic capability for Kinetic, which was um, a very Ministry of Defence focused company back then. Um, and then from uh, Kinetic, I moved out of digital forensics because with the great foresight I had, I didn't really see a future in, in that type of forensics in terms of the, you know, the, the world um, order, if you like. So uh, I moved out to um, what was at the time CSC and then subsequently uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, where I basically ran the security architecture and cyber assurance businesses. Um, I then moved on from Hewlett Packard to Capita, where I was director of the cybersecurity business there. Um, so essentially, I've been running professional services, end to end professional services business for the last sort of six or seven years. Um, and then the role prior to coming to Unisys last December uh, was with Lloyd's Register, the shipping classification company, where uh, I was brought in to build them a, build them a global um, cybersecurity capability from scratch. They had, they had nothing there. Uh, the reason that I came to Unisys, I've never worked for a, uh, a technology vendor before, um, and I've never been focused specifically on one product. But the reason I came here actually was when I found out about Stealth and its capabilities and what it can do now and what it could do in the future, it absolutely piques my interest. So I've joined as a um, as an uh, industry director and part of my role is as an evangelist for the Stealth solution. Lovely, thank you very much. Um, Anu, you next, um, can you obviously the same, could you tell me a little bit about you and your career leading up to Unisys? Sure, um, I'm Anu Ramraj, um, Vice President, Cloud, for, um, Cloud Services, based in California. And uh, my cloud journey began with uh, HP Software, uh, where I was part of the uh, management software group. And then as part of a uh, foray into cloud management software, that's when I got into, into cloud about 12-ish um, years ago. And then it was on to doing more of um, um, automation and engineering leading that as um, as part of HP public cloud. So HP did try to do a public cloud based on OpenStack. Um, um, this was um, this was about ten years ago when they uh, when they uh, when they did this, and then into um, into more of uh, building up um, the DXC public cloud practice and putting the the new cloud models, uh, especially around um, um, public cloud management, into place um, there at DXC. Uh, what brought me to Unisys was the emphasis on the um, Cloud Forte portfolio and um, the product and the services and um, and the and the um, and the high scores that Unisys consistently gets with its customers. So the the huge emphasis on um, 
uh, on customer satisfaction, which is reflected in our NPS scores. Um, I think the, um, the industry average is about in the 30s and we are somewhere in the, the higher fifth, uh, in the 50s. And that's, um, that was one of the biggest draws to Unisys for me. Lovely, thank you very much. Uh, and finally, Jamie, um, same for you as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, so I've been in the security industry for, gosh, over 27 years. Um, uh, you can probably tell by my gray hair, I've been around for a little while. Um, I've done a lot of different things uh, over the years, uh, worked for uh, uh, vendors since about 2002, uh, and spent actually a fair amount of time working for services-based companies. Uh, one of the things that I I find still today, even more so today than, than ever before, is the emphasis on uh, services to be able to actually put all the complex solutions that are out there to good use, to actually get value for customers. So uh, that's actually a big part of why I joined Unisys, um, is I see the opportunity, fantastic opportunity uh, to, to help customers out. And I love what's in the, in the portfolio here that I think we'll talk about a little bit today. Lovely. Thank you very much. Um, and speaking generally, this is this is to anyone who'd like to answer. Um, what does cybersecurity look like today in, in, in 2020? Um, kind of how, how do you feel that it's sort of transformed over the last few years? And, and what, what's it what's its current position? Um, so I think for me, it's um, it's becoming more complex. I mean, cyber since its inception is, is one of those things that seems to become ever more complex as we just bolt on sort of solutions to, to, to problems that appear that we maybe haven't foreseen. So for me, um, you know, everything that's happening in the world at the moment with technology, so the convergence of IT and OT is a, is a big deal for businesses because the, you know, that, that conversion brings a lot of um, very uh, tangible and useful business um, outcomes for them. But at the same time, it brings a huge amount of risk as well because these operational technologies um, previously really could only be attacked physically by getting physical access connect them to an IT system, of course, and you, you can get to them pretty much from anywhere. Um, and also at the moment with the, the biggest problem that, that um, both companies are facing and individuals is with this ransomware, is we're seeing a diversification of that ransomware. So where before it would be a payload coming in, um, a, a brick in your machine, pay the ransom or not, maybe they would unlock it or not. Uh, and off you went. What we're seeing now is that attackers are much more persistent. They're getting into networks, as we saw with Travelex, for example, um, where they were in that network for five or six months, um, exfiltrating five uh, uh, terabytes of data. I think it was a terabytes or gigabytes. I, I can't remember, but huge amount of data first. They then delivered the ransomware and then used that to uh, to to extort money from the company. Uh, and also at the same time, what these attackers are doing is they're selling the access that they've managed to get to those networks. So they do their piece and then they sell the access on on the dark web to, to other attackers. So for me, it's about that sort of expansion uh, of, of the business attack surface. Um, and also we're just getting more and more complex. Lovely. Thank you. Um, Jamie, is there anything that you'd like to add to that? I think JP said, said took most of the words out of my mouth. The complexity is like uh, a really big thing. I don't see things um, getting easier for people. It's actually getting more confusing for for customers to uh, people that need some help to choose from all the options out there. Um, there's thousands and thousands of companies. That are, a lot of them are claiming the same things. You know, I I, I do believe in the zero trust principles and philosophy. Um, but when that came to market and there's a lot of buzz around it, 
people were saying, oh, I need to go you know, purchase some zero trust solution. Well, everybody has something that can help with, with least privilege. So everybody says, I do zero trust. So as a consumer, let's say you're a manufacturer, how, how do you strategically decide where you should, should focus uh, your security program on? Because you don't have uh, unlimited funding to address these problems. So I think, um, you know, helping customers with some strategic advisory on their journey so that they, they focus their energy and efforts to protect their stakeholders really well is super critical, especially in today's, uh, you know, environment. Absolutely. Um, Anu, on your side, is there anything else to, to add? Um, as both Jamie and JP said, I, I think our clients are on a, on a digital transformation journey and um, cloud is helping accelerate that cloud digital transformation journey. And what we see is um, our, our clients, um, we do a cloud barometer study. So this is Unisys does this um, on a regular cadence and 75% um, of our customers said they are multi-cloud and hybrid cloud. So um, that brings a unique set of challenges um, because then you're, um, it needs a broader understanding of the security principles. Um, the attack surface is larger. So um, um, solving hybrid cloud challenge for our clients and making sure they get um, hybrid cloud security right is a big focus for us. Definitely. And, and Anu, for you, um, can you tell me a little bit about the impact that COVID-19 has had on the industry? Do you, do you think that there's been much of a shift in the type, sort of types or volume of cyber attacks? Um, Sean, I would have to say absolutely yes. So, um, as, is, um, as is well known, I think um, COVID um, this year is going to be momentous in that everybody's going to remember the, uh, the virtual graduations that happened in 2020 and the entire set of um, I mean, the school's shifting virtual and uh, um, especially with the public sector um, agencies that we work with that, that had um, not had a lot of remote workers now shifting to almost 100% um, virtual. So there was a lot of momentous shifts there. And what this led to was um, a big change um, in terms of um, a huge rush to the cloud as well, because that was needed um, to, to enable the remote workers, whether it was um, enabling more BDI on cloud for, for remote workers or enabling the quick services that were needed for public services for citizens. It, it, there's so many things in there in this crisis that caused a rush to cloud. And now um, with, um, and I think now is the time for, um, for organizations to kind of step back and say, hey, we rushed to cloud, but uh, did we get our cloud security posture right? So um, I think this is, um, um, definitely the industries have gone through big shifts and to enable their remote workers and uh, this is the right time to, add, um, to, to kind of really look out and see the attack surface and see if the right controls are put in place. Probably and, and Jamie is that something you'd agree with is have you noticed any shifts or, or trends because of COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, absolutely there are. Um, I think there's been a lot in the media about uh, increased attacks on remote work from home uh, vectors. Um, so we're seeing that uptick quite a bit. And I see uh, Anu and JP nodding their heads too. Um, so anything where there's a, a concentration point for access to the uh, enterprise or anything they might have, whether it's in the data center or in the cloud, is, is an attack vector. 
And a lot of companies, they really were forced, like Anu said, to move uh, very quickly to get their employees to be productive in, in this environment where you have to be socially distanced or working from home. Um, and, and what that's translated into is tactical decisions, not strategic decisions. And people are opening up uh, vectors into their environment for the sake of business continuity to continue to, to be able to function without really realizing the repercussions of, of what they may have done. So um, that's a huge threat vector that needs to be addressed. And uh, I think we're gonna hear a lot more about uh, attacks in the future. One example, I'm not gonna be able to give you specific names, but some, some insurers, uh, cybersecurity insurers are saying uh, they're not going to honor uh, policies um, if a compromise is identified as uh, originating from a remote work from home employee that doesn't have the same standards uh, as they had anticipated when underwriting the policy where they would be sitting in a cube inside that gushy internal kind of network. Lovely. Um, and, and JP, on your side, was there anything else to add to that? Um, really, well, I'd really just expanding on what Anu and, and Jamie have already said. So we saw this week, actually, that Gartner reported uh, 400, almost a 400% increase in phishing attacks since the COVID lockdowns began. Um, and, and as Jamie said, you know, that attack surface has expanded incredibly, because if you think about a lot of organizations before the lockdown, they would probably have uh, figured out about 20% of their remote um, of their remote worker capability that overnight almost had to scale up to 90 95% and that equates to sort of five 600% increase in their attack surface and the way that they did that um, which is what most companies are using these days is through VPNs which is you know very old technology it was never designed for this uh, level of scale it doesn't scale very easily organizations have had problems with bandwidth and accessibility for clients not to mention the vulnerabilities of course that, that come with that and if you take that human element, um, you know, this is a light bulb to a moth moment for attackers because uh, people are now working from home where they may not have been used to it. They're working in, in their home environment. Who they may not be lucky enough to have offices and studies and what have you. So they might be using their bedrooms or their living rooms, their personal space. The boundaries are completely blurred between work life and homes life. So people are more stressed. When people are more stressed, um, their guard goes down and they become more vulnerable. So you know, this, this is why we're seeing 400% increase in phishing attacks, because people are more likely to, to open a phishing email. And actually, some tests, um, not tests that we've conducted, but conversations that we've had with CISOs and, and CIOs actually indicates that the phishing tests that those companies have been carrying out on their staff have seen a 100% increase in failure rate since people have been working from home. So it's a really critical um, crunch point, as, as, as Jamie mentioned just now, with the VPNs as the infrastructure, there's been a huge increase in, in attacks on the infrastructure, and there's been an even bigger increase in attack on the people. I might add to what JP said, I think um, the human element is the most critical piece in, in this puzzle. And uh, that's where we see the increased attacks. So um, building on what JP was saying, if you adopt a new um, SaaS offering on the cloud, so you adopt a new video conferencing software, you got to educate your workforce around what does it take um, to put their controls in place, whether it's a simple password protection for your conferences. We saw a lot of video conferences being breached um, because they didn't have simple password protection, for example. And, um, um, and if you're adopting a new cloud provider, you got to um, 
coach the the employees that are managing it around the the basics of getting um for example key management right so if you compromise your cloud provider keys then you're giving away the keys to the kingdom and you could rack up huge bills so so the human element is so critical as jp um, rightly alluded to so that that is key there thanks very much for that um certainly very interesting um jp moving on to you now for your questions um can you Give me a bit of a description about Unisys Stealth and walk me through some of the key advantages to, to the software. Certainly, yes. I mean, um, so Unisys Stealth, is, it's a software suite that's trusted by government and commercial organizations. And essentially uh, what it does, it transforms um, networks, both on premises and, and in the cloud, into a, a zero trust network that Jamie mentioned at the beginning there. And, and I'll come back to that zero trust network because it is, you know, it's, it's everyone's talking about it at the moment. Um, essentially, though, with Stealth, we do that through uh, identity-based microsegmentation, which is really important. Um, we do it through encrypting data in motion very securely, and I'll talk a bit about that. Um, and we do it by cloaking assets, so making the network invisible to, to attackers. Uh, and the beauty of it is being software is that it, it, um, it, it overlays existing uh, network uh, um, topologies, architectures, uh, and integrates with applications. So you don't need to rip and replace anything. You know, you may have just renewed your, your Palo Alto or Cisco or whatever firewall estate. No need to rip that out. Stealth just overlays that very, very nicely. Um, and if you think about um, today and the challenges and you know, what cybersecurity is, it's all about protecting data today. You know, before the old days, we used to try and create an impregnable fortress and protect everything on the perimeter. Well, you know, where is that perimeter now? We're all connecting into company data uh, which is its most precious asset from, from everywhere, from, from mobile phones, from tablets, from home, from office, from trains, from uh, cafes and, and what have you. So, you know, that you could argue that, that the new perimeter actually is, is, is the person, is, is us as the human being. So what, what, what Stealth does is it, it allows, it brings order, breathing space and resilience to an organization. So, for example, um, encapsulated in the stealth capability are, are various um, elements, one of which we call dynamic isolation, for example. That's, that's the ability to identify a rogue endpoint or anomalous behavior on an endpoint um, and shut that endpoint down or isolate it rather than quarantine it in under 10 seconds, okay? Um, which, if you think about it, is, is really powerful. If you, if, you, uh, if you combine that with um, encrypted micro-segmentation, what you're doing is you're compartmentalizing your network so that if an attack or malware gets into that space, number one, it's going to be picked up by the dynamic isolation anyway in under 10 seconds. But, it, you know, that's, that's still enough time to do some damage. Number two, it's going to limit the, 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 the travel for that, uh, for that malware or that attacker. Now, if you put that into a real world environment and think about the Maersk attack in 2017, I know it's an old attack, you know, everybody talks about it, but... To me, it's absolutely the perfect example of why you need to do things the way that we do them at Unisys. The two, re two reasons that that attack was so devastating, it brought the company to its knees in 47 minutes globally, is that one was the human element, and you mentioned earlier on, the person that actually opened the, the infected email attachment in the first place. And secondly, was the fact that the malware contained within the, the, the payload could propagate across the network east to west in, as I said, 47 minutes and brought the company to its knees. Um, had that environment been micro-segmented, once the payload had been activated by the, the human, it would only have ever gone to the boundary of, of that 
segment. We call those boundaries communities of interest. So that's a really, really powerful uh, tool if you're talking about business resilience. What micro-segmentation does for you further is that it gives you the visibility into your network. So if you're going to talk about creating a zero trust environment, you need to be knowing exactly what everybody and everything is doing on that network. Otherwise, it's, you're never going to get there. It's, it's pointless. So by micro-segmenting, you give the, you know, you know, the IT department, for example, visibility of who's connecting to what, where data is going, and you have the peace of mind with our uh, hyper-secure um, uh, IPsec tunnels that we use to transport that data that you've got true end-to-end -end encryption uh, and when i talk about that hyper secure tunnel essentially we use um, aes 256 encryption but we put a crypto chassis around that with further layers of encryption and um you know we're really confident in this absolutely uh, it's it's never been cracked we were at rsa this year uh, in february before the lockdown and we ran a capture the flag competition where ten thousand dollars was up for grabs and uh, there were about 60 hackers, I think, that spent eight hours there during the day trying to uh, get into a stealth-protected laptop. Um, the closest anyone got was one attacker inadvertently hacking the machine of another attacker, um, thinking that that was the target. So we, we are absolutely confident in, in, the, in the encryption that we provide for organizations to protect their data in transit, which is, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. Oh, that's that's pretty incredible. So, so he he hacked someone else that was trying to hack yeah. in into. The... <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't see. I, couldn't I was, see his laptop at all. <laughs> I was I was there, uh, JP, uh, at the RSA. Oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, it it was really quite the event. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And because nobody won the ten thousand, it was donated to uh, was it women in IT. He donated the prize because nobody won it, of course. Nobody ever has won. Yeah, um, that's nice. But, yeah, was good it was good. It was good. Really good. Really so, nice so they had, was it They had eight, eight hours to try and do it then, did they? Um, Could, they couldn't even see the laptop. That's, that's what I was talking about with the cloak in there, Sean, is that yeah. um, by using the uh, encrypted micro-segmentation, identity-based as well, which I'll just touch on very quickly, actually, because I did forget that piece. Um, what happens with the encrypted micro-segmentation is that uh, if you think about the cyber kill chain, phase one of the cyber kill chain is reconnaissance. But if you can't see something, you can't reconnoiter it. So it's actually phase zero of the cyber kill chain. You can't even begin to, re to reconnoiter the environment you want to attack because you simply can't see the environment, um, which is very, very powerful. Now, the identity-based piece is that we have our own protocol that does the ident identification and authentication of a user. Um, which we call SKIP, with the Secure Community of Interest Protocol, um, so that we know, we are confident that it's JP that is, is logging on to the, his, his part of the system that he needs to get to from an authorised laptop or an authorised device. Um, and if you then translate that to our current COVID-19 uh, environment with lockdown, that exact same um, approach methodology, stealth, actually provides you with super secure remote access. So I can give you access only to the uh, applications that you need access to in order to do your job, which is what Jamie was talking about earlier on, on, on least privilege. You don't get access to any other part of the network. In fact, you can't even see any other part of the network. You just access all those things that you need to do to do your job on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where you get the granularity, you get the visibility, um, and you get the control. So this we say the order of the breathing room and the resilience. The breathing room comes from the dynamic isolation, where we stop uh, an attack in its tracks, which gives you the time to investigate it properly. 
to clean that machine up and then put it back into your into your network. And this all, this can all happen in seconds, by the way. This isn't this isn't weeks and months. Um, this is seconds and minutes rather than, uh, rather than anything else. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, and were there any sort of challenges that you had to overcome, or any or any sort of hurdles, or was it pretty successful from from the get go? So um, stealth is is not a new kid on the block. Stealth has been around for fourteen years. It was originally developed for the U.S. military and government, where, where it's still deployed. So um, I think I think uh, and, and Jamie and Anu may be able to help me out here because I haven't been here that long. I think we commercialized it around twenty thirteen or so, and took it out to 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 the rest of the world, if you like. Um, we use it ourselves. Uh, within Unisys. So when, when we had this requirement to scale up our remote working capability, I think we went from about 15% up to 95% in a couple of days with absolutely no interruption to the business. Um, so we, we, you know, we drink our own champagne, if you like. Um, and what we're seeing actually um, in, in Europe, it's, it's an interesting conversation because it is inextricably linked to zero trust. Um, and the beauty of stealth is that you can overlay it and you don't, you don't need to start ripping and replacing, as I said earlier on, but that's not the perception that some companies have. When you're talking to them about employing a, a whole new way of doing things, a new way of doing cybersecurity, which is what we need, they, they're, they're frightened. They don't really get it. And this is, I think, you know, why what, what Jamie will talk about, I'm sure, um, shortly it is, is the killer for me because it helps them to understand that and helps them to understand why, why they should change things. So, um, yes, we, you know, we, we have lots of customers that are using this. In, inevitably, they tend to start out with a small implementation, maybe looking after, for example, a PCI uh, DSS environment, which is perfect for sales. So only those people that need access to the data within that environment, which is heavily regulated, as you know, only those people get access to it and you know that you're super secure with, with that. And then organizations look at that and think, actually, we can start to expand that out and start to create this zero trust environment, which, which does not happen overnight. You know, it takes a long time for an organization to become truly you know, zero trust uh, enabled, if you like. I, so I um, that's really important as well, JP. I just wanted to, to jump in before I lose track of it in my, my brain here. Um, you know, our always on access capabilities really help organizations in this COVID era. Um, so we can help them securely connect to the organization. JP talked about the identity-based uh, policy and access, um, but we also protect that data in transit from uh, you know, providing non-repudiation as well as uh, encrypting that data so that uh, it can't be eavesdropped on. So um, you know, we really, really right time, right place with, uh, with stealth for not just uh, huge enterprises, but uh, all sorts of businesses struggling to to securely address the deficiencies of traditional VPNs too. Yeah. And actually, it's, you know, it's fair to say as well we've got we've currently got the largest implementation of a micro segmented network uh, on on the planet, I believe, with one of our American clients as well. No, no other company has a, an implementation of uh, of encrypted micro segmentation to that scale that we do. Wow, that's great. And um, what's 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 next for Stealth? Is there is there a next stage? Um, of development for that or, so, or yeah absolutely thinking? yeah um so it's stealth in terms of its capability covers uh it covers mobile devices it covers cloud uh it covers we've got stealth identity as well which is um, a biometric uh capability that's actually we've been protecting borders with it for 20 years well that's now moving to a new phase shortly of continuous verification 
for example. So if, if I'm logged into a laptop here and I move away and it doesn't detect my face, then it just locks the, the, the laptop down. So you've got that coming up. We've got, um, uh, we're enabling um, iOS and Android devices. Uh, that's, I think iOS is this month and Android is coming out in a couple of months time. Um, guys, help me out. There is my, I think there's something else, isn't there? In terms of the development roadmap. Stealth dashboards. So some more visibility. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so a, a better GUI, um, so that you can get a better, a better visualization of, of, of what's going on as well. So yes, I mean, it's continually in development. I mean, I, I joined in December last year, so seven months ago. And since then, there have been two updates. So I, I, I started on version four. We're currently on version five, moving to version six in a couple of months' time. So there's a lot of, there's, it's, it's a continuously improving uh, capability. Lovely. Thanks very much, JP. Um, Anu, uh, moving on to you and, um, and CloudFort, um, can you outline, outline the basis of CloudFort and, and tell me what the key benefits really are? Sure, Sean. Um, we view, at Unisys, we view CloudForte um, as the uh, kind of the space shuttle accelerating the, the cloud journey for our clients, if you think of the cloud journey as a space odyssey. So, uh, depending on whether you want to go to moon or Mars, you're going to need a different set of landing gear and you're going to need a different set of uh, um, um, equipment to survive on those two planets, on moon or Mars or whatever planet you want to go to next, right? So that's how we, we view multi-cloud and hybrid cloud. Um, so um, especially for our um, organizations that are um, adopting multi-cloud, just keeping up with the, with the services that are that the cloud providers are innovating on, making sure that they are using the latest and greatest guardrails and putting them in place is, is a huge challenge. And that is what we seek to automate and enable and act as trusted advisors for our clients. Um, <clears throat> so think of CloudForte as this, um, as this um, single pane of glass that is that you can use to kind of operate, um, provision, optimize, migrate workloads into any of those hybrid cloud, multi-cloud landing zones. And um, this cuts across both infrastructure and applications. And um, what is the, the key differentiator is uh, we bring in our unique IP and we also bring in third-party products from our, from our partners to offer the best solutions for our clients. And uh, we've uh, baked in thousands of um, policies um, to make sure we have the right digital guardrails put in place. We've baked in um, um, over 500 plus artifacts, automation artifacts that our clients can then, uh, we, we deploy for our clients for them to be able to do this. Um, rapid provisioning is a big thing for us. So we have a public sector agency that we were um, one in, in Georgia, that's a public reference that um, um, they were looking at three months to provision any workloads because they had a lot of controls that had to be put in place. Um, so they had to be compliant with, uh, with FedRAMP, but their landing zones had to meet certain criteria. They had to be on GovCloud, for example. And, um, and, and just getting an IP went through an entire process with another third party to get an IP approved. But by completely automating this process end to end using CloudForte, we were able to, um, to cut this down from, say, three, three months to about less than 30 minutes. 
So, so rapid provisioning is one of the, the business outcomes that we drive for our clients. And then it's all about innovating with cloud services. That's what Cloud Forte enables for our clients. So we've got a, a large public university uh, with uh, over 23 campuses. That's, um, that's a client. And um, for this client, we set up a data lake in cloud. And we are able to now predict and help drive student outcomes, bring in the right student inter intervention um, at the right times. And this was possible by using the, the cloud services for data lakes and AIML. And so this is really harnessing the power of cloud to drive the right business outcomes and business SLAs for our clients. Um, so in short, um, um, Cloud Forte is that space shuttle and uh, it's, uh, you, can, um, you can use it to ride as far out in the universe as you want to. So uh, it's all about enabling and accelerating that journey. Lovely, thank you. I like the analogy. <laughs> um, can you talk me through some of the common examples of, of cloud security breaches and, and in what way Cloud Forte mitigates that risk? Sure. So uh, if you look at the uh, 2019 cybersecurity um, insiders report, you'll see that what stands out is that more than 40% of the breaches um, are caused by cloud misconfiguration. If you look at the, the breaches that happened in, um, in, a, in a credit agency, the, one of the most infamous ones uh, where uh, S3 bucket was compromised and millions of uh, uh, financial records uh, were compromised in that process. Again, that was a simple misconfiguration of, um, of, a, of a cloud storage. So, and this has happened again and again. Uh, we've had um, a dating app that was compromised. Um, again, mis cloud misconfiguration. We had um, a big hotel chain that was compromised. Um, so you see this as a recurring theme. And um, these are simple configuration changes, a security group or, 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 or a storage bucket that's misconfigured. And, um, but um, it's so easy to get them, um, get them wrong. And, and there's drift that happens as well. You might, you might have blueprints that ensure that you get this all deployed correctly but it only takes one, one admin or one developer to go in and, and change the configuration and then you are, you're vulnerable. So, so what's key here is security automation and having the right policies around that. So that's what CloudForte, um, we've got a CloudForte compliance, which brings that to the table and you're able to automate these checks and auto remediate as well. So automate the checks and auto remediate is, it, I think both of them are key. And then another angle there is um, based on the industry, um, for example, uh, we have a big real estate um, agency that's a client and they've got some real estate standards that they have to comply. And, and they've made tons of acquisitions over the years. And as they bring in these acquisitions, they need to make sure that all of them are compliant um, going forward. So, um, so industry specific stand, uh, security standards and compliance standards, getting your, um, your NIST compliance is, 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 is important for certain industries. Um, we have a huge defense contractor that's, um, that's a client and for them, they deal with the UNNPI standard, which is, um, which is even some um, standards about and on top of uh, NIST standards. So, um, so being able to craft the policies so that they meet our clients' needs and help them meet their, their industry standards is key for us as well. And um, in these cases, um, 
even though these uh, might not be the result in a breach per se, but, but, if, but, if, um, but these are important to get right as well because um, um, these audits can be very, very expensive. So uh, for some of these um, for some of these agencies, if they don't get these things right, these controls right, uh, they're going to be uh, held uh, in penalty and held to millions of dollars in funds in the next audit. So, um, so get the configuration right and also get your controls right for the compliance standards that apply. Great, thanks very much. Um, now this is kind of a question that we can all sort of cont contribute to. Um, it'd be really good to get an insight about how these three you know, um, offerings that we've talked about today really complement each other. Um, so for you, for you first, Jamie, how, how do you feel that all three of these, obviously, TrustCheck, um, CloudForte, and um, and Stealth really like help each other and empower each other? This is a great question. Um, I'm a firm believer in defense in depth. I don't don't believe there's a silver bullet out there. Um, you, you know, I, I had just actually mentioned strategically deciding on on what to focus on. Organizations with the complexity out there really need help with this. They also need help understanding and communicating to the boards um, what to invest in. Uh, so that's where Trust Check comes in. It'll help organizations understand where their risk is and, and where they should be focusing. Um, and that's likely to show them some of the deficiencies they have in other areas, um, whether it's, it's relating to cloud and maybe retention policies or, or uh, perhaps they need a web application firewall for the virtual private cloud. Um, you know, we'll start to help them understand these things and, and what the risk is if they don't have them. And then, you know, I, I think Anu would speak to, to, to the cloud piece in, in how Cloud Forte and, and the portfolio under, under Anu would come and help there. I think it's uh, we, uh, the, uh, the products that we have and the services we have complement each other. So um, think of it as a layered cake, Sean. So, um, so we've got the, um, like we're talking about, so if you, if you have the, the cloud providers, for example, covering off on the data center and the physical security and the host level security, uh, we still have the network elements that um, Jamie and JP have been talking about that we need stealth to cover. And then we have got the op operating systems. We've got the identity, which again, stealth's able to bring in. And we've got data and applications and then um, multiple layers of that stack are protected by Cloud Forte as well in terms of the configuration and uh, making sure your workloads and application and data are protected. So really it's like a layered cake and uh, we really need these products uh, that are complementary to address all the layers of that cake. And they're flexible. So it can be like a, uh, a cherry chip cake or it could be a chocolate cake or a vanilla cake, right? Is it so, your favorite cake? Exactly. <laughs> Pick your favorite chocolate cake. cake. Yes. Never a strawberry cake. <laughs> JP, is there anything to add to that? No, I mean, not really. I mean, Jamie and Anu have been, have been really uh, eloquent about that. You know, clearly what, what we've got is an ability to understand where you need to spend your money and why and what on. You've got an undoubted super acceleration towards cloud services now in light of, of this uh, COVID business and, and you know the requirement for remote access and everything else. And a lot of organizations are seeing that actually VPN isn't probably the way to go anymore and therefore cloud is their choice. So you've got that ability with uh, Annual and Cloud Forte to make sure that that's done properly, that everything is considered properly and to help you. And then of course with Stealth, you've got, you've got the security uh, overlay and also in terms of you know, the reference to what Jamie was saying around 
complexity and cost. Uh, you know, if, if you implement stealth, for example, um, with the micro segmentation and the visibility in the granularity, what that does is, is it reduces your costs. It reduces your costs in relation to the manpower because you don't need so many to people to, to manage so many devices and, and, and things. It reduces your reliance on, on, on dozens of different security tools. Um, and, and of course, by doing that, you, you reduce your complexity massively. So yeah, absolutely, they, they complement one another very nicely. Thank you very much. In your, in your own opinions, can you tell me about uh, what, do you, what do you think the future of security will hold and what, and what that will look like? And I know that nobody has a crystal ball handy and it's impossible to know exactly what will happen. But, you know, if you can you know, anticipate the future, what, what do you feel will sort of happen? Um, for me, it's going to be about uh, resilience. Businesses have got to stop thinking just about protection and trying to stop people getting in and that's it because people will get in and you know the regulation and compliance is going to drive this as well they need to be able to withstand attacks uh, to the point that actually it isn't even newsworthy anymore um, and then identity people us you know that's going to be a massive focus um, making sure that identity is verified authenticated uh, and we are that new perimeter Jamie for you I agree with what JP said. I would say that uh, one of the fundamentals of zero trust is also data tagging. Um, it's good to know what a person's allowed to access, but then you need to also match that up with what the classification of the data. So I think, I think uh, just my crystal ball says there's going to be more effort in being able to identify data, um, tag that data and how that persists with data so that you can apply zero trust policies better. Um, I absolutely see the move to the cloud continuing to accelerate. Um, people are adopting it. Uh, I've been in the industry, like I said, 27 some odd years, and uh, I would consider myself to be an early adopter. Um, and so I've been watching the trends and, and they are increasing. I'm sure we're gonna see that continue. Um, unfortunately, I don't think complexity is going to go away short term. Um, I think it's going to continue to get more crowded in the market space with people trying to compete um, and it's going to get even more confusing for consumers. And, and finally, Anu. Sean, uh, the way as um, JP and Jimmy have said, uh, uh, we're seeing these trends with the increased complexity and um, um, with hybrid cloud uh, and multi-cloud coming into the picture and um, as a best practice, um, organizations need to shift left in terms of security, which means uh, DevOps is now DevSecOps, which is you want to bring security back into your dev cycle, starting, starting to think about security even as you build your containers, making sure that they are secure, uh, making sure your CI CD pipelines are also um, making provisions for doing things like penetration testing um, um, as part of the, the whole life cycle in there. So building more and more of the security practices into your, into your, into your entire dev and ops cycle and automating it. Um, so that shift left to DevSecOps phenomenon, I think we're going to see more and more of it um, as, um, as, cli as clients adopt cloud and hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. That's needed to mitigate risk. Um, another key takeaway that we would want to leave this group with is uh, is around SaaS, and we see this increased uptick in SaaS adoption, right? Software as a service, um, which is enabled by um, the cloud adoption because a lot of these are available through their cloud services. And um, 
I think um, this goes back to a responsibility model conversation that even when adopting SaaS, there is, there is responsibilities that lie with the client. And so that trend, um, there's an emerging field called a SaaS ops, being able to, um, to operate SaaS in a secure manner. So, so we're going to see more of that. Lovely. Um, well, thank you very much for all your time today, guys. It's been excellent to talk to each, each and every one of you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Thank, thank you. you very much. Great to work with you again, guys. Bye, thank everybody. You. Have a good day. Good day. Bye.